Well, good morning. We are in the third part of our series, Furious Love. I start this morning with a story from Ernest Hemingway, one of his lesser-known stories. Uh, and the story is about a, a tragic story of a, a Spanish boy who wants to be a bullfighter but never makes it to the ring. In the midst of that story, he ends up becoming, uh, having a pretty big fight with his father and he runs away from home. The father, it says in the story, as Hemingway writes it, that he, he spends great amounts of energy and resources to try to find his son, but can't find his son. And so the way the story goes is that uh, Hemingway mentions that this father then decides that he, he's going to put an ad in the paper and call for his son Paco. And so he puts in the paper, um, Paco, um, all is forgiven. Meet me at the Montaña Hotel at Tuesday at noon. And so the, the story again is, as he shows up on noon on Tuesday, this father sees crowds and barricades and police everywhere as he enters in to this Hotel Montaña, only to notice that 800 boys and men and teenagers named Paco had showed up because they all wanted to be restored to their father. I, I want to tell you that story right off the gate right out of the gate, because I want you to know that the whole reason we're doing this series is because when we say furious love, do you know that God has been putting in the paper of your souls, in your soul, a call for you to come home? No matter where you're at this morning, God wants you to respond to this furious love that he is pursuing you and he loves you. And remember when we started this series, I wanted you to kind of identify where you were at, which one you were, which, are you, are you a prodigal or an older brother? And at first that may seem like, are you kidding me? I'm neither, I'm the third son that Jesus never mentions, right? Or son, son or daughter. But what you're going to find in this story as we've unpacked it the last two weeks is that in, in many phases of our life we find ourselves doing both and going back and forth. And I just want to review for you shortly what, what this was. We talked about the younger brother. The prodigal, right? The one that takes his inheritance and wishes his father was dead and runs away and spends it in wild living and prostitutes. An extreme picture. Now remember, we have to understand what Jesus is doing. Jesus is responding, right, to, to a disagreement, to a grumbling in the hearts of religious older brothers. Remember it said teachers of the law and Pharisees said, why do you eat with sinners? Prodigals. So Jesus tells three stories, remember? He tells the sheep, the coin, the lost coin in Luke 15, and now the son. Three, remember we said three is this somatic triplet that says it's, a, it's, it's for sure, it's bond, it's, it's a promise. Jesus is telling, not by mistake, but a story three times so that you know God's love cannot be taken away. It's permanent. So we have this younger brother who wants to take... Uh, his inheritance. And remember we said that on every given day, we all operate this way. At some point, you had to be a prodigal. Now, maybe not to the extreme, because Jesus tells this point to the extreme, but the, the, the idea is that you have a box, and the box represents your way, how you think about God, how you think about life, how you think about how the world operates, how relationships work, how to deal with money, all that comes from how you've grown up and how you've been raised, but that all 
really is kind of your way. And on your best day, psychologists will say, you're only willing to let anyone challenge 5% of that. Unless, as we find in the story of the younger brother, remember, he walks away and what happens? He spends everything, he finds himself at the, at the face of pigs, and his world, his box falls apart. And isn't it that's the way it is with us? When we hear the news uh, about our health as we just prayed with somebody, and not that they're prodigal, but isn't that when we, we come to the end of ourselves, when things start to fail, all of a sudden, the way we thought about God and our lives and all those things start to challenge our perspective, and we're left broken. The prodigal finds himself there, broken, uh, realizing he's got to go home. Not even fully understanding what he wants, but he wants shelter and food, and so he goes back. And we said that many of us, most of us at some point, have taken our box our way. You may think, ah, I'm not a prodigal. I don't have that extreme story. Think about it this way. Do you operate kind of, I want something from God, like I want gifts. I want certain spiritual gifts. Why won't you give me those, God? I want my health back. God, why won't you give me that? You find yourself kind of just operating with God on your own terms of wanting to get something from Him, and that's the limit to the relationship. You are wandering. I would say this morning, all of us have wandered or must wander at one point in life. In some ways, as being a father of four daughters, and many of you have been, are, are parents now, and you have sons or daughters that are prodigals, can I just encourage you this morning, this story is not about parenting. This story is about the reality, about how we start to operate on our own. The scripture says what? All of us have a way that seems right to us. Proverbs. Proverbs says, all of us have this way that we're convinced this is my way. How many of our sons and daughters have said that to us in our homes? I I don't care what you think, this is the way I want to do it. How many of us said that to our parents? No different. This prodigal does that. Then we know we talked about the older brother, and the older brother is really very similar in some ways because he does want something from God, but the way he does it is I'm going to do stuff for God. And so we have this box that's ironclad with, with, with duct tape and it's a for sure way to think about God. And it's, it's things like, I believe the right way to interpret the Bible and the right things to do and the wrong things to do. Who's in? Who's out? I become judgmental. I create this box of rules. And you fit in it in the beginning, don't you? You fit your rules for a while. The problem is you see the gospels being shared. The more and more you start to go through this process, the box gets smaller, doesn't it? And you realize that the gospel isn't just about behavior. No one ever fixed a heart in all of eternity by saying, stop doing that. That you realize your rules get smaller and smaller and pretty soon you don't fit your own rules because if you were to run the course of the true picture of the gospel, As you start to understand what God demands from us, it's a heart. And when you start to look at rules as a replacement for relationship, you begin to rebel. You begin to notice the darkness in your own soul. And as it gets smaller, it becomes frail and broken apart and it doesn't fit. And you don't fit your own box. Friends, when our faith becomes a set of rules about who's in or out, when we start to point a finger 
who gets eternity and who doesn't. You've become a little bit of the older brother. And when we start to decide that, listen, these rules are what fit, then what you do is say, Jesus, the cross was almost enough, but we need to put a plus sign and some rules up there with it because that's not enough. Friends, there's, Paul will say throughout the Gospels, and through, excuse me, throughout the letters to the churches, there's one thing don't mess up, that it is Christ alone. Faith alone. We're going to talk about that later, but I want you to hear that's where we've been. This is kind of the, the unpacking of these two brothers. This morning, though, I want you to hear about the Father. We've contrasted these two, and I want you just, as we said, the intention of this series is to have you identify where you're at this morning. We probably could say that we've all kind of go back and forth to this, and I confess this is a go-to for me. But that's not to say I've been there and I wander at times and it doesn't have to be, again, the extreme picture that Jesus paints. Again, he's responding to a bunch of older brothers, religious leaders of the time that we would have esteemed as great spiritual people. Why do you eat with those people? You could see why judgment in a church becomes toxic. And when we start to keep people in or out, it becomes... Jesus plus something else. This morning, though, I'm excited to share with you about this love of the Father. I want you to listen carefully, but I want you to let the Holy Spirit move into your life and maybe help you identify where you're at this morning because it's my belief that I don't think we can fully buy the furious love of the Father. Furious defined as one of the definitions is intensity. I don't think we fully understand the intensity of the Father's love. I want to give you six characteristics this morning of this Father that loves you with a furious energy. It says in Luke 15, as Trisha read, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, give me my share of the estate. He divides his property. Can we just make an observation? In Jewish culture, no son would ever ask for the inheritance before his father was done. Meaning dead. And let alone any son, but now let alone a younger son to ask for his inheritance, who would have gotten a minor share, like an eighth. But what do we notice about the the love of this father? He does it. Not once does he stop and say, well, can we stop and talk about that for a moment? Can I give you some wisdom and some thoughts? This might not be your wise choice. Even if the father had kind of a great disposition, if you had a, some, some sense of being really grounded where you wouldn't react and blow up in this moment, the father says nothing. The first characteristics of this furious love of the father is he is overwhelmingly generous. Paul actually alludes to this kind of generosity when he talks about hilarious givers in the New Testament. I believe it's the Galatian church in Macedonia, and he says it's, it's called hilarious. It's it's so beyond belief that you, you have to just laugh hysterically because it doesn't make sense. The Father has generously lavished everything on you this morning. There is nothing that you don't have. There are many things you want, but he has given you everything. Do you realize when Jesus is telling this story now, Jesus is telling the story, he has yet to be crucified obviously judged, kind of a, a, a whole corrupt system of throwing him through that, that legal process, but then crucified and resurrected. He's telling a story 
a parable that will then unfold and they'll start to understand it even more. The generosity of the Father. If you think about that this morning, the generosity that God has given you this morning, the grace He's offered you through His Son, Jesus Christ, the opportunity to stay, to be with Him for eternity, the hope, the overcoming of death and evil and sin. Man, we, we, we serve a God that has already won. You're already at the Super Bowl party in eternity. You think about the generosity of the Father. It says that when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and I'm here starving to death? I'll go back and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer we've called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he gets up and goes to his father. He's, he's going to go back and make a deal with his dad. Notice that he's not going to go back and say, can I be one of your sons? He even says, I can't be a son anymore. I know that I've broken Jewish culture, that I've, I've busted apart everything that's appropriate. In fact, I'm going to get to it in a bit. I'm going to, I'm going to move us toward this. But in Jewish culture, for a younger son, an older son, to ask for money, their inheritance before the father was dead, was shameful, disgraceful. Not only to the father, but the entire community, the whole village. There's a word for it I'm going to get to, but this, this son has completely broken cultural boundaries. And he has disgraced this father. And so for this father then to do this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Do you notice something here? He goes back to the father. Uh, he knows he's done wrong. He knows he can't be a son. He knows he's broke uh, cultural laws, religious laws. But the Father sees him. The, the Father sees him. In the culture of that time, if a son would have done that to you, you would have never looked for the son. You would have waited for him to crawl back. Crawl back, guilty, shamed, broken. What does it say? It says he, was, he saw him. It implies that the Father actually, morning, noon, and night, break time, in between things that they were doing was looking for his son. There wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't Instagram. This, this father is searching for his son. It's the second characteristic this morning that God's furious love is patiently waiting for you. He's patient. He's going to wait for you, friends. I want, to I want you to think about that this morning. He is going to let you go and not debate with you. And then he's going to let you wander. There, there's uh, the Amish do this thing called Rumspringa. And it's when a, a son or daughter gets 16 years old, they say, you no longer have to live under the umbrella of Amish ways. Go live recklessly as much as you want. Go wander. You know what they're saying to him? Take the way you think you should do life your way and go fulfill it all. It's so interesting, their insight, because they give him a choice at the end of the two years to come back and to leave it all. You know what they're saying? They're waiting for them to come to their senses. God's love is patient. Two years. Could you imagine? I can't imagine our four daughters saying, all right, girls, great job. 
um, being in the house. I'm going to, two years, go do whatever you want. You're not underneath the umbrella of any, go fulfill every desire your way, the way you want to do it. But when you come home, know that you're back with me. Man, would you be waiting? I would be. I would be, are they home yet, Trish? I don't know. Did you check? I checked. I checked the, you know, the front camera to the driveway. I mean, I'm, I would be checking, I'd be checking emails, I'd be checking everything. Are they coming home? This father's love is radically, furiously patient. Friends for younger and older brothers. I have to admit this morning, my patience level, as, as we want to try to think about how are we the father this morning, and how can we be that, especially in our church community, I struggle being patient with this group. Probably because it's more like who I am and how I am, but I recognize this is the harder group for me to be patient with. A lot easier for someone going, oh yeah, you can go ahead and try that. It's not going to work. I think that, I don't say that to him, but just, but I can love and be, there's an honesty there. This I struggle with. God's love is equal to both. He doesn't shame the judgmental. He doesn't shame the lost and broken. So it says he got up and went to his father, but again, why this, he was a long way off. His father saw him, filled with compassion for him. He runs to his son. Okay, once again, Jewish culture. Um, I think some of you, who's wearing shorts this morning? Guys are wearing shorts this morning. Great legs, right? You got, you're just confident about that. Back then, if I were to run, and the reason I didn't run, I'm either running from bears or lions, that's when I would run, or like spears and swords. But otherwise, the Jewish man would never run because it was shameful because I'd have to roll up my robe and show my legs. Equal to being exposed like fully naked, it would be, it would be shameful, disgraceful. You would not run. Something's urgent with this father. He, he breaks this, this boundary and rolls that up and takes on shame to embrace the son. I, I want you to think about that for a moment. The father in heaven pursues you. He will pursue you and, and take on whatever shame necessary. He did. By taking it all on on the cross, as Isaiah 53 says, it says he took on the iniquities of all. He took on the shame. He took on your guilt. It's so interesting this morning. Why is it that we struggle so much to embrace this furious love of the Father? We can talk about it, about love and grace and, and forgiveness, but to feel it here, this furious love that he pursues me. He's willing to take on my shame and my guilt. This Father displays something that already his religious listeners are confused. They're not even confused. They're probably getting upset and disturbed. You're telling this story wrong. No father in, in our Jewish customs and being religiously right would ever do that. That's right. Not only was he compassionate to him, he ran to him. It says that he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Okay, why is this important? Again, I'm going to get to it in a minute. There's a word for this custom. But this son would have discounted himself. He would have, he would have uh, 
kind of raised his hand and says, I no longer want to be a part of this family. By doing that, disgracing the father and the village. Now, there were rules about how a son could come back. The son would have, a father would never be waiting on the porch looking for a son. In fact, the Jewish law says that he'd be waiting inside the home, waiting for that son to crawl through that door and, and to feel the shame and guilt. There was only one that was allowed to embrace the son and hug and kiss him. You know who that was? The mother. The father, I love that Jesus is telling this story. He's confusing these religious leaders, right? Oh my gosh. This father is taking on the, the feminine attributes of, of what the woman should be doing, not the male. He's confusing this whole group. God's furious love breaks boundaries. Just when you think you have God's love figured out, God breaks those cultural norms. Just when you think that there's someone that's too far prodigal, too far gone, you know, as we watch the news, we see things like, oh man, that's evil, and God, they could never know God. God will break the boundaries. He'll take on the shame and guilt. He'll break the rules. He will, he will love the judgmental, the religiously self-righteous, the ones that think they have it all right. He will break the rules. Jesus is telling this story and these guys have to be just freaking out because he's told this story wrong. He's, he's told the story where all these steps, this Jewish man, is, this father, is radically stepping outside of the bounds of what they comprehend is right. This son then, this young prodigal, comes to him and says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be, be worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts. Do you notice that? What he planned to say, he doesn't even get out of his mouth because the father stops him. You see, the father's not concerned about the way you're going to make a deal and come back. You ever done that before? Like, Father, forgive me. Okay, because I did that, I'm going to do this. And friends, this morning I, I'm trying to be as direct but grace-filled. We grow up in a culture that can steer us way off the gospel. The gospel being that, that Jesus, we don't make deals with God. That Jesus is enough. That knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is enough. Is obedience important? Yes, it's an outpouring though of a heart that's overwhelmed with the furious love of God. I don't do things in obedience to God to earn His furious love. He gave it freely. This father interrupts the son, doesn't even allow him to make his deal and says, quick. Why would he have gone so quick? What's the urgency? Why run, take on shame? Why interrupt him and why say quick? Commentaries say that because there's a procedure there is something that goes on that when he has disgraced a father and a family and a village and a community, that what needs to be performed is kazeza. It's a Jewish custom where pots full of beans, by the way, I really wanted to do that this morning, but was born, that would not be a good idea, but they smash it in front of him. 
The commentaries believe that Jesus tells this story in the way that that group listening to this story would have known that the village would have been running if they would have heard he was coming back home to cut him off. Father is willing to break boundaries to pursue you, to run ahead of whatever the world thinks. Whatever shame and guilt is supposed to be heaped upon you. He wants to beat the world and the evil of this world and the thoughts of this world to say that you've done something right or wrong and you're outside of the bounds saying, quick, I want to restore you. This is what the father says to his servant, quick, bring the, bring the best robe. Notice that he doesn't say, bring a robe. You might be older brother this morning, a little bit of older brother if you're thinking, that's not fair, he got the best robe. Anybody felt that this morning? Yeah, just a few of us? He doesn't deserve the best robe. Jesus tells this story in such a way, bring the best robe. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Remember, I've talked to you about rings. Rings were a very important symbol throughout Old and New Testament, but it as, as a landowner, as a person of, of wealth or just my, my tribe and my family and my servants, there would be certain rings, signet rings, that would, that would represent my estate being a part of this family. And so there are stories and cultural norms that whether a slave, a servant, or a family member, if I were to put a ring on your finger, it didn't matter what you did or didn't do, you entered into the benefit of what it meant to be with that father or landowner. Remember I told you, I've said when we won the Super Bowl, it was crazy that, that I got that call from Mark Murphy to say, come down and get fitted for a Super Bowl ring. Again, remember, I, some of you forgot, I didn't catch a pass that year. Look up the stats. I never caught anything. I never tackled anything. I say that in jest. You did nothing to deserve the love of the Father. I have done nothing to earn the favor of a God that furiously loves me. He just put a ring on my finger and said, you're a part of it. You're a part of it. It says not only that, put sandals on his feet. Let's kill the fattened calf, the, the most expensive that we have, and let's have a party. Never once do you hear this father saying, all right, son, let's sit down. Son, and, and this sounds so like outside of us not freaking out at this. Like, I told you so, right? Even if this father was like, what did you learn, son? What were the lessons you learned? We don't hear this. The, the, and so much of how we wrap around, I would say, our boxes this morning, we kind of come up with this way that we think God operates, whether you're an older or younger brother this morning, and you have to know this morning that God wants you with Him. He's not holding something over your head. His love restores. The furious love of the Father restores. It restores murderers. His name was Saul and was changed to Paul. He restores adulterers. His name was David, and he was called a man after God's own heart. Can we go down the list? He restores Rahab. He restores who, whose name in Bible do you want to know, but he restores. He brings them back. Friends, this morning, we have that. 
Why is it it's so hard we could talk about God religiously, but we don't, we don't buy that in here? And you know how we can tell we don't buy it in here? Because it's hard for us to give that away. Is there someone who has wronged you enough, prodigal enough, far out there enough where you said, nope, I don't want restoration? That's where this love, this furious love of God so breaks the boundaries of what we understand. He loves the lost. He loves the terrorists. He loves the sexually immoral. He loves those who are pretending to have it right but are dark inside or think they're right and don't see their darkness inside. This God wants restoration. It says that we know the story. The older brother became angry when he went out and uh, he, he hears a party, right? So they, they brought in the, the rappers, <laughs> right? He's hearing the thumping of the music. However you want to paint that picture, but this is a party. It's a celebration. It's, it's this God of the universe, this Father that, that is pulling people and he wants, to, he wants them in the party. But look what he does. He notices in the midst of the celebration someone missing. Someone missing. This Father knows about his younger son's Issues and struggles. He knows, though, about his older son's struggles and issues. He noticed he's missing. I think that's so interesting that he notices. Man, we spend a lot of energy around here, and this morning, it's not that I'm not honest every week when I say I'm going to be honest, but I, I want to be direct and say sometimes this is really hard work because. I long to see people feel the restoration of the Father. And sometimes I feel a sense of brokenness because I don't miss people. And I look at empty chairs in this room and I think, man, who are we missing this morning? Not in a sense of community church could be big and we're more services. I don't care about that. In fact, I would trade that. I would trade our perceived success if every church in Green Bay could be filled on Sunday mornings that people that know and love Jesus are looking for that restorative furious love of the Father. Trade it all in. I would step down tomorrow if I knew that could happen. So the Father goes out and pleads with this son. My son, Father says, you are always what? With me. Notice that the Father doesn't say, you've always done it right. You've always been so good. Gosh, you, you've been such a hard worker. He says, you've always been with me. And everything I have is already yours. Do you realize this morning you miss, lack nothing from the Father who's been generous? But we had to celebrate and be glad because this, brother's of your, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. His love his furious love is unconditional. There is not a condition this morning that you could put on someone that does not deserve and, and not sensing the furious love of the Father pursuing after them. This morning he has a notice out in the ad of your soul and it's saying, come home. All is forgiven. 
1 John 3, 1, consider the kind of extravagant love the Father has lavished on us. He calls us children of God. Do you realize no matter what's going on in your heart and mind now, no matter what you did last week, the week before, the year, no matter what your record is, older or younger brother, older or younger daughter, he calls you, you are my sons and daughters. It says it's true, we are his beloved children in the same way the world didn't recognize him and the world does not recognize us either. This goes on, this goes beyond the world's understanding of what love is. Father wants to be with you. The relationship he's calling us to is to be with God. Be with him. And see how we can quickly become one of these and we can kind of fluctuate between the two. And friends, I've noticed that someone who has an extreme prodigal story often has, swings the pendulum to an extreme legalist. You've got to get it right. If this is not right, if you're not interpreting it right, if you're not doing it right, you're outside and I'm, I'm separating you. And it goes through the whole cycle and ironically, they get to the, they really become prodigals. It looks, looks a little bit different. The box looks different. The Father wants you to be with him. Do you wonder what chapter 2 would be for, for, the, for the prodigal? Do you think about that? I do. I think, what would what, what the younger brother in part 2, if Jesus were to tell part 2 of the prodigal, I can imagine that because everything fell apart in his life, and isn't this the way we are, when it all falls apart, we come back to the Father, resting in what? What we already have. I bet this son whether it was early morning with a cup of coffee, late night with whatever his favorite drink was, they would just sit there and he would look at his dad and just enjoy being with him. What about the older brother, chapter 2? My assumption is, because there is no coming to your senses at this point, that he has to go through this process. God knew he had to wander. God knew he had to walk away. And I'll bet the father didn't fit a box. And I bet he left. For a time. But God didn't love him, furious love him any less. And so the story starts all over again, and the father waits for an older brother to come home. Mr. Patton, I shared this last week, he's an American literature teacher, I've been reading more about this guy, he's not a believer. But look at his assessment of religion. Is a system of beliefs or a code of moral conduct that judges, qualifies or disqualifies a person based on their adherence? and obedience to certain codes, rules, laws, traditions, or the performance of required acts. Friends, it's hard not in this culture to become an older brother. I interpret the Bible this way. I interpret it that way. I do these things. I don't do these things. Friends, you can get yourselves and find yourself in a system that's about rules in that relationship. But then look what he says about Christianity. The difference between Christianity and every other faith in the world is that all other religions are about man trying to reach up to God, struggling to make the effort. And friends, when you think that earning and looking right before God is how you reach God, you remove Jesus Christ from the cross. Because what you're saying, he is not enough. And that it is not through grace and mercy and the gift that God gave us in that sacrifice. That is not gospel. Gospel is on Christ alone. And friends, I can just confess this morning, it's hard to understand that. I can say that to you, but to live that way, oh, 
I gravitate. I float. This morning, we're going to respond before we go to communion, and we're going to do something together that I want you to know is not a way to... I think there are markers in our lives. And I think when I ask you to things like pray with me and to stand up or sit down or raise your hand or, or go to the cross, it's, it's not because I'm forcing you to do something religiously. But if you're like me and, and many of us, sometimes you need to be called to something where there's a, a hammering a stake in the ground and you make a choice. And often standing up in front of us, a community of believers that are both prodigal and older brother and we're just honest about it, we can make decisions to begin to be different. And so I want you to think for a moment, just in your heart of hearts, just bow your heads. Where are you this morning? Are you wandering? Are you this prodigal? It doesn't have to be crazy sin. It may be some sin. I don't know what it is, but are you wandering this morning? Are you younger brother? Maybe this morning, though, you're finding that it's all about the rules. In fact, it's hard for you not to kick some people out of your system because you're judging them. You've found yourself more about rules and getting it all right. You feel guilt, you feel shame, and that those boxes are getting smaller. You might be older brother this morning. The beginning of this series, I told you I wanted you to identify where you're at. Now I'm going to ask that you respond if you want to respond to the ad that God's putting in your heart this morning where he's saying, come home. The name's not Paco, it's your name. He's saying, come home. Make a decision this morning to accept the furious love of the Father. Before we go to communion, we're going to do something here. And so I'm going to ask those of you who this morning, you're just feeling led you want to begin to come home. I don't know where you're at in your prodigal journey. If you're prodigal this morning, if you're a younger brother, would you stand? That's, that's your tendency. That's where you're at. could be a sin that you're struggling with. It could just be that you're kind of wanting whatever you can get from God. Would you stand up this morning? Just stay standing. Again, it's, this is not embarrassment and shame. This is just honesty. Because if we, if we can't do that in here, we play religious games. Because friends, all of us have wandered. All of us. We, 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 we discount scripture when we don't agree with we've had our own way. Is that you this morning? Just stand. Some of you need to let go of a sin. You've just, there, there's a part of your life that's, that is running extreme. And you need to just, it needs to be done. I need you to respond. I want you to respond this morning to the Holy Spirit and just stand up and say, God, I, I got to come home. And you don't have to clean up before you come to God because he's, he's not looking for that. He just wants to be with you. Those of you who are struggling to figure out to stand up, you can do that whenever you want to. Now I'm going to talk to the older brothers, though. You're judgmental. You're hard-hearted. The saddest part of this story is that that religiously right person never enters the party. He could be that close to the party and never come in and receive the furious love of the Father. If that's you this morning, older brother, and you want to break a religious system around rules, would you stand? Would you stand this morning? You look at other people, you kind of judge whether they're interpreting or doing it all right. 
And it's more than just Jesus. Not to say there's theological conversation and any of that, but you just know that you've kicked people out of the kingdom because of their rightness or wrongness. Are you an older brother this morning? Just stand. Now, I told you on my trip to Colorado, one of the, the exercises that I think I read in the book Brenny Manning talked about was just this whole idea of, of, of doing this breath prayer, and it's just basically saying, Abba, I belong to you. Because if you're like me, we're standing right now because we have not fully believed that we're good sons and daughters. You either feel guilt like you have to put a bunch of rules to be better or you're just rebellious and realizing how lost you really are. If that's you this morning, I simply have you just pull your hands out like this and repeat after me. Abba, I belong to you. You say it with me. Abba, I belong to you. Even as you say these words, do you realize it's the Father saying to you, I love you. You're saying, Papa, Daddy, Dada. You're not judging me for what I've done right or wrong. You're saying, I've given you furious love. Abba, I belong to you. One more time together. Abba, I belong to you. We're going to sing that song together. Bobby's going to lead us in that. And once you're ready, I want you to go to communion. But I want you to, as long as you need to sing this song with him, it's a beautiful set of lyrics. Father and the Holy Spirit, we pray for healing this morning, that we all come home. That we stop looking to our left and right and judging brothers. That we stop living our life our own way like the younger brother. God, call us home. Call us to respond to being with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.